This is WGRE 91.5 FM, Greencastle, Indiana. Good evening and welcome to Music for Life, music from DePaul. In this episode, our last before spring recess, Elika talks to members of Fifth House, our ensemble in residence who are back on campus for more work with our students. With the end of the semester approaching, we hear from several students who are presenting their junior and senior recitals, including our very own Anna Gatdula. And right on the heels of our Living Composers Festival featuring guest composer Jason Robert Brown, Hannah talks with a pair of students who had the opportunity to sing for Jason in a master class, and I sit down with him to talk about his terrific performance here and the good advice he has for 21st century musicians. There are lots of exciting things going on in the DePauw School of Music, and we're glad you could join us for Music for Life. This is Elka Okerstrom here with members of Fifth House Ensemble. I've got Melissa, Jenny, and Eric with me in the studio today. Welcome, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk about recital hour today. So we just got back from our weekly recital hour where we had performances from these guys. And Melissa, you're doing some really cool stuff with your flute. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. The piece that I played is called Lipstick by Jacob TV. It's one of my favorite pieces, and he's one of my favorite composers. And in essence, what I'm doing is throwing down with a boombox. He's written this whole series of pieces that sample audio clips from popular culture. And so what he does is he has the flute imitate the rhythm and the speech pattern and also the pitch of the voice. And it's a really amazing thing to listen to and a terrifying thing to have to do. Right. Ultimately, what you're doing is you're having to fit in with this electronic track that is never going to adjust to you. It's incredibly intricate. And also, there are all of these different rhythm patterns that happen. So for those of us musicians out there, every bar is in a completely different time signature than the bar before. I'm looking at 11, 16, 3, 8, 5, 16, 1, 4. I mean, every bar is completely different to fit these patterns. So it's really complicated to put together. But once you're in, it's super gratifying to play. How do you go about preparing for a piece like that? Is a lot of do you prepare on your own and then bring in the track or do you familiarize yourself with the track before you start working on it? That's a great question. You know, I first got to know his music through The Body of Your Dreams, which is another piece that he wrote for piano. And when I was looking at the score for that, he writes a lot of the vocal cues into the score. So when you're preparing it, you know what you're going to be hearing in the track. And then when I got the score for Lipstick, I saw that there was very little in there from the track, very few cues at all. And so what he does do, though, on the CD is he gives you a track that has just the accompaniment part, which you use for performance. And then he gives you a track that has the accompaniment and also a MIDI of the flute part on top of that so that you can hear how it's supposed to fit together when all is said and done. So the thing that's a little bit terrifying about that prospect is that you have to technically prepare the part, which is very hard to do on its own, and have it be rhythmically perfect with all of these changes. So normally, and this is going to get into the practice seminar that we're going to be doing <laughs> later today, but normally you would take a metronome and speed it up slowly. But the thing is, the metronome markings are so weird and the bars are a regular shape that it's really actually quite hard to do that. And then also being able to distinctly hear the difference between the flute part in the track and then the backing track, which imitates flute parts, that can be hard to do. So honestly, just figuring out what it was supposed to sound like was really difficult in addition to actually being able to technically play it. But once you're past that hurdle, it all makes sense. And all of a sudden, the audio cues are fine. Awesome. Well, we all really enjoyed it. Thanks. So Eric, you handled all of the educational outreach for Fifth House, correct? That's correct. Well, we are doing a lot of visits to Bainbridge Elementary tomorrow, actually. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So what we're going to be doing at Bainbridge Elementary is Fifth House is going to be going in and giving each class an opportunity 
to experience how we teach in the classroom. And what we do is we take music and we try to teach something else using that as a vessel. So this visit is more catered toward music and storytelling. So the big culminating event in this class is going to be an event where we sit around in a circle and we share stories about our earliest musical memories. And we're doing this to prepare for our show in April with Balladino that's going to be focused on musical memories. So we'll have the kids going around saying, how did you first hear music? What was your first experience with music? And the great part is we're going to have them interviewing their parents as well and figuring out how their parents first heard music and how those two things relate. So is there a difference between the musical memories of one generation to the next, different cultures, all those kind of things? These are conversations we're having with a lot of people. So it's going to be really fun to experience that with different grade levels when we go into the classrooms of Bainbridge. Awesome. And something that we're all looking forward to that we've been anticipating doing for quite a while now is a songwriting workshop with Bobby Lancaster and Ron Dye. So Ron works at Tapon the Communications Department, and Bobby lives in Greencastle and worked on the Harvest Project with us last year. Can you guys talk a little bit about what that workshop is going to look like? Sure. So it's very loosely called a workshop. It's more of a songwriting circle, which is going to be really fun. We got the idea for this from probably the first visit that we did this fall, where we had freshmen sitting around and telling us what they wanted to get from this residency and what they were hoping to learn more about in their four years at DePauw. And one of the things that came up is that they don't really have that much experience creating their own music as opposed to playing music that was written by others, and that they wanted to, in particular, learn how music is created in popular settings and also how bands function. So I was having a conversation with Ron in the fall, and we had this idea of bringing people together to create some songs together. And so Ron and Bobby are going to join us. Also, Joel and Latasha Everson are going to be there as well for more radio. And so the idea is for us to sit in a circle and first pick the chorus of a song that everybody knows and sort of reorchestrate that. And then also for the second half, create something brand new together. And for me, I'm super happy to have Eric with us on this visit because he is a wonderful songwriter. You actually have a song that's a semi-finalist in a major competition right now, isn't I it? I do, yes. I, it's called The Insurance Song, and it's, <laughs> uh, it's a semi-finalist in the international songwriting competition right now. So I'm really excited about that. But I do think that songwriting in general and being able to have that experience of writing your own music has been helpful to me just to figure out how to connect with an audience and really take something personal to me and present it. It's helped in my playing uh, across the board. Awesome. And Jenny, you've been with the group for a long time now. In terms of programming events like this, like a songwriting circle, how much have you guys done that in your own practices or is this kind of the first time thing? I guess this is a new thing. Um, One of the things we learned almost immediately when we started working in Greencastle is how much talent and beautiful music makers are in this town. And so it's really exciting for me to get to work with them. Um, Bobby Jane's CD is in my car all the time. (laughs) Her children's CD is uh, one of my kids' favorites. And Almost every time they get in the car, they insist on hearing some of the songs. Their favorite is the banana song. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm really, really excited. I don't fully know what to expect, which is the fun of it all. Great. Well, it looks like it's going to be a great visit. Thanks so much for talking with us. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. This is Hannah Gothier with the events calendar for the week of March 16th all the way through April 5th, because in between there... We're all going on spring break. I know we're all excited for that. So on Monday the 16th, there will be a faculty woodwind ensemble concert at 7.30. 
On Wednesday the 18th, Drew Casey will be performing at Almost Home. So make sure you get in there before spring break, have a nice meal, and listen to Drew play. On Thursday the 19th, there will be a concert entitled the Percussive Celebration, and it will be a concert honoring the former Dean of the School of Music, Dr. Amy Lynn Barber. There's gonna be a few groups and faculty members involved with that, so make sure you catch that really cool concert. That next week is spring break, so make sure you stay relaxed and do something cool. But safe, stay safe. Stay safe, everyone. That next week, the very first thing on Wednesday, April 1st, will be a Silk Road pre-workshop concert at 7.30. Mike Block will be playing the cello and Sandeep Das will be playing the tabla. That will be a really cool concert to preview the Silk Road workshop that's coming in the summer. Also on Wednesday the 1st, Matt Skiba will be playing at Almost Home, so make sure to go and support him. On Sunday, April 4th, Anna Gadula will be giving her senior recital at 3 o'clock. It's going to be a great show, so make sure you go and watch that. And at 5 o'clock that evening, Katherine Anderson Quinones on cello and Marion Hillebrand on clarinet, and they will be giving their junior recital. Sounds like a good day full of recitals, so make sure you go and check those out. This has been the events calendar for the week of March 16th through spring break and all the way through April 5th. Thank you very much to Paul and have a good one. From their appearance at the March 11th recital hour, here are Fifth House flutist Melissa Snoza, clarinetist Jenny Woodrum, and bassoonist Eric Heidberder playing Jared Miller's piece, Happiness.
This is student producer Hannah Goth here, and in the studio with me today I have two seniors to talk about their upcoming recital. I have vocalist Brooke Addison. Hi, everybody. And bassist Jacob Peterman. Hello. So you two are doing your senior recital together. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Brooke, like, when is it? Sure. It is on April 11th at 1 p.m. That's a Saturday. So everyone should come and listen to Jacob and I perform and then eat some yummy food afterwards. That's also in Thompson Recital Hall. Ah, so you yes. don't get lost. Don't get lost. <laughs> uh, mezzo-soprano and a upright bass. That is a fun combination you don't see very often. So what are some things you're going to be performing in this recital, Jacob? <laughs> well, there's a reason you don't see it very often is because there's not really anything written. Yeah. This is Brooks and my second recital together. We did yep. our junior recital last year and we did a piece and it was fun. I don't think Brooke liked it, but I did. <laughs> it was fun for Jacob. <laughs> so instead of doing bass and vocal this year, we're both going to sing a duet. Oh, you want to talk about that, Brooke? Oh, sure. I love the Adams Family, so we're going to do the duet from that, Crazier Than You. Oh, that's So a, it's not necessarily one. classical, but it is entertaining, <laughs> and both of us will be performing together, which is always nice. Yay. That's awesome. So what are some other things that we can see on the program? What I like about our program is I feel like it's going to be pretty diverse in what's offered. We obviously have the classical requirements that we need to be performing in Thompson, but then we're incorporating things that we love as well. So it's fun to be able to share that with other people. I think my favorite piece that I'm doing other than my duet with Jacob, obviously, <laughs> is The Seal Man by Rebecca Clark. Oh, it's, yeah. It's very, very dramatic. It tells a story and I love it. So... You all should come April 11th at 1 p.m. in Thompson to hear it. <laughs> what about you, Jacob? I think my favorite piece that I'm doing is a Icelandic folk song called Sofu Sofu Gadi. Oh. Two winter terms ago, I went and studied with the arranger of this piece in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And it's I describe it as a duet with myself. So I will be accompanying myself pizzicato while I'm bowing at the same time. So it's really strange because I have to use a broken technique, but I think the outcome is fantastic. That sounds really amazing. Brooke, you won't be accompanying yourself on any instruments? Um, Luckily for you all, no, I will not be accompanying myself. She Um, can maybe interpretive dance, though. I think that's the extent that I'll go to. No, luckily, (laughs) luckily, um, we have John Claude Filter. He'll be accompanying for me. And then also Jennifer Peacock will be playing for two pieces of mine. And then Tony Weinstein will also be playing for two pieces of mine. That sounds like it's going to be a really, really fun afternoon. Can you tell us one more time when that's going to be? Sure. April 11th at 1 p.m. in Thompson. All right. Thank you guys so much for coming to talk to me, Brooke. Thanks, Anna. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you so much. I'm Kevin Days, and you're listening to Music for Life. This is student producer Hannah Gothier, and back in the studio with me this week are vocalists Derek Truby. Hello. And Angel Riley. Hi. Derek and Angel were with me last week to talk about Jason and Robert Brown and his visit. And so we're having them back to give a little recap of how the weekend went. So Derek, can you tell me some of the highlights of your weekend with JRB? I enjoyed his whole stay. He was very honest the entire time, very reflective about where the business is going and how newcomers fit into the musical theater. 
And um, I don't know, he just was so genuine in everything that he did. And I really enjoyed the fact that he could shed some light on some questions that we all had in regards to where the business is going and how our classically trained voices fit into musical theater. That's really cool. Angel, how did you feel about the student cabaret? How did that go? I thought the student cabaret went really well. We actually got a nice applause at the end, which I think we all took on very well. The songs came from a lot of different works of Jason Robert Brown, so I thought that was really cool also that we got Mm -hmm. to show a lot of his different works and not just things from, like, because I know we did Parade, and a lot of people didn't know all the stuff that he's done, so just to be able to perform a lot of his music from different works was really cool. That's great. Now, you were both in the master class. How was that, getting to sing for someone like him? You want to go first, Angel? Sure. It was uh, very nerve-wracking, as I (laughs) thought it would be. Um, But actually, I think only one person sang one of his actual songs. So that Mm -hmm. was very different than what we expected. But he really did instruct us, and like Derek was saying, on life. It was a lot of life lessons learned, um, and specifically for... Um, a lot of the African-American, it was three African-Americans who um, mm-hmm. were a part of the master class. And he really informed us of a lot in the business of how it could be and steps that we can take to make it better for ourselves and mm-hmm. really to be ourselves and not have to take on certain roles that are like stereotypical or stuff like that. So it was really informative and I was really glad to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has this way of telling you exactly what the truth is but it not stinging yeah (laughs) and uh, there was a there were a lot of truths that came out about everybody's performances or their performance habits and he said it in a way that we can understand and that we all could grow and develop into better actors Mm -hmm. also i loved that he referred to us as actors and not singers Mm -hmm. he was like okay you know the voices are good okay but let's focus on making sure that this character is 100% believable. So it was uh, definitely a breath of fresh air for the music school here. (laughs) That's great. It seems like it was a really incredible weekend for Mm -hmm. DePauw. And I hope we can have some more opportunities like that in the future for more musical theater type Mm -hmm. things. All right, uh, Derek, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Angel, thank you. Thank you. From the Student Cabaret performance on March 7th during last week's Living Composers Festival, soprano Angel Riley, baritone Derek Truby, and pianist Jennifer Peacock perform A Rumblin' and a Rollin' from Jason Robert Brown's Parade. Yeah. 
nervous. Won't do nothing that'll make you nervous. Won't do nothing but the law convention. And they won't ever pay attention. They'll never say my, my, my. They're gonna say Gatula. Today I have with me junior clarinet performance major Marion Hillebrand. Hello. And junior cello performance major Kat Anderson Quinones. Hi. And they have their junior recital coming up. Marion, when is your recital? It's Saturday, April 4th at 5 p.m. Great. And Kat, what are you playing on the recital? Um, in the recital, I'll be playing Prayer from Bloch's Jewish Life, the entire Beethoven F major cello sonata, which is the first cello sonata that was ever written, and the second movement from Franck's cello sonata in A major. Oh, great. And Marion, what are you playing? I'll be playing the first movement of the Brahms clarinet sonata, the second and third movement of the Poulenc sonata, mm. an unaccompanied piece by Sudermeister, and then um, my woodwind quintet will be playing two movements from a klezmer suite. Oh, great. Kat, what are you most excited about performing? I'm really excited to share the block because I don't think many people are familiar with the music and also to share the Beethoven Sonata. Great. Marion, what are you most excited to perform for us? I'm really excited to do the Poulong because it's kind of like dissonant and spooky in a way. And then the klezmer, I think, will be like a really fun, exciting way to end it. Great. All right, guys, so tell me again when the recital is. It will be Saturday, April 4th at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Great. There's a lot to look forward to in this recital, so good luck, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. From their concert of March 8th, Craig Paré directs the DePaul University Band in a performance of Philip Sparks' Overture for Woodwinds.
this is student producer Hannah Gothier, and with me today in the studio is senior vocalist Anna Gatdula, and she's here to talk about her upcoming senior recital. Hi, Anna. Hi, Hannah. <laughs> so, when is your recital? My recital is April 4th, Saturday, April 4th, at 3 o'clock p.m. It's a Saturday we get back from spring break. Oh, that'll be a nice welcome back to school. Yeah. So what are some things that you're preparing for the recital? What what are you looking forward to, to singing? I've been preparing, well, obviously a whole hour of repertoire, <laughs> but um, within that hour, I think two of my favorite sets are a song cycle by Richard Strauss called oh. Mädchen Blumen, oh. and it characterizes four different girls, Mädchens, as flowers. Oh. And so there's a lot of flower imagery, just very lush, romantic imagery talking about these four different girls with the very different personalities mm -hmm. and a Respighi song cycle called Deita Silvani, which is a song cycle. It has a lot of references to mythological creatures. There are um, lyrics about Pan mm -hmm. and nymphs and different fauns and it's a beautiful, beautiful set. And obviously, Respighi is known for his symphonic poems and his tone poem symphonies. And so, yeah, the song cycle has a lot of extra musical elements. So there's one song called Aqua Water, and there's there's this beautiful running um, ostinato in the piano, mm -hmm. just like gentle, calm running water. And it's it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous set, just very lush and. Just very romantic. A lot of a romantic yeah. thing. So I, I, I start the, the recital off with Handel. Mm -hmm. And then I just jump straight into late 19th century, early 20th century stuff. So I skip a whole uh, <laughs> couple centuries there, <laughs> pretty much. But yeah. That sounds really beautiful. Oh, thanks. Are there any special guests joining you on the stage? Yes, actually. there. Um, Josh Levine, who is a senior flute performance major. Mm -hmm. He is joining me for a flute and soprano duet called Deux Poèmes de Ronsard by Albert Roussel. Mm -hmm. And they are, they're very abstract. They're gorgeous. <laughs> they're, again, a lot of them um, just very like fragmented imagery and mm -hmm. lush again. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going into musicology. So can we expect very detailed program notes. Uh. I do plan on writing some good lengthy notes. I didn't really want to talk too much since I have to sing a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I'll do I'll do my talking in my notes and hopefully get people to focus and be able to think and listen intelligently about the music I'm preparing. That sounds like it's going to be really really wonderful, a really really nice afternoon. Thanks, Anna. <laughs> so, Hope to see you there. You know I'll be there. So, <laughs> so uh, one more time, can you tell everyone where and when your recital will be? Definitely. Uh, it is Saturday, April 4th at 3 o'clock p.m. in Thompson Recital Hall. All right. Thank you so much, Anna. Thanks, Hannah. <laughs> From her faculty select series recital on March 10th, pianist Darcy McCoy performs Claude Debussy's La Soirée dans Grenade from Estomp.
I'm Caroline Shaw, and you're listening to Music for Life. Our Living Composers Festivals for the year uh, wrapped up last week with an amazing visit with Jason Robert Brown, and I'm thrilled that he's taken a few moments out of his crazy, hectic schedule to come join us and chat, and uh, welcome, Jason. Good to have you here. Thank you, Mark. So, busy weekend there while we had to rearrange a bit because you got snowed in before you even got started. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, as much as I control the weather, that one slipped out of my hand. <laughs> And uh, so we did some quick rearranging and got you here just in time for what was really a fantastic performance. Thank you. I was just riveted from the beginning to the end. That's the first time I've been able to hear you perform live, and it was one of my favorite memories at DePaul. Well, thank you. You know, I don't do the performing as much as uh, as I used to, but I love doing it. It's just always been sort of to the side of the writing, and I guess if I had to... If I had to have something written on my tombstone, it would be composer and not performer. So I let let the performer stuff sort of hang out over there. Well, you know, though, the performer thing is really great. I mean, I didn't realize how good it was and how, and really riveting is the word. My wife came and as we were both listening, it's like, I hear a little Billy Joel. I hear a little Joni Mitchell influence. I hear all of these different styles. And then all of that comes together and comes out of something completely original. There's no one that does what he does. No, thank you. I mean, you know, the point of the writing really is to synthesize all of the sounds of the world into whatever a character sounds like. So when I'm writing for character, and I'm always writing for character, even if I'm just writing for me, mm. I'm a character, you know, <laughs> it's, it's that guy. So whatever that character's world is, what are the sounds that she hears in her head or he hears in his head, and how has that been informed by where he grew up, where she, you know, what she listened to when she was a kid, or what's around her right now? And so you take all of these influences and you put them into the character's head and then there is the sound of what they want there is the sound of how their heart beats and that's the sort of the final thing and i think that's really what my job is not just the sort of the synthesizing but finally the heartbeat of the character how do they speak how do they sing what noise do they actually make and why so uh I do pull from a lot of different influences, and I think inevitably my characters all end up listening to the stuff I listened to when I grew up, but fortunately I had a fairly capacious repertoire when I was a kid. So that you hear a lot of Joni Mitchell and you hear a lot of Billy Joel, and then there's also a lot of Bernstein and Copeland and Steve Reich and mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder and, and you know all the gospel players that I, I grew up listening to and aping, and there, there's all of that stuff sort of shows up in there somehow. It sure does, and in your piano stylings as well. I mean, it's remarkable to hear... The way that you play, very unique style, and at times you feel like you've got the whole band with you. I mean, I'm sitting here listening to one man on a piano, and yet I hear the drums and the bass and and the rock and roll sound. It's pretty amazing. That's usually my foot. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I also, you know, I grew up not having a band around, so I I grew up being used to having to make the, the piano do all the work for me. Uh, you know, I, I wish always after I do the concerts, I wish my technique were a little sharper because I sort of have a, a bunch of tricks that I can pull out. But after that, I'm just doing the same thing over and over again. But <laughs> as I get older, perhaps either as I get older, I will uh, get more tricks in my bag or I will get fewer tricks. And eventually I'll just be reduced to playing sort of uh, single notes at a time, <laughs> which is probably fine. <laughs> So yesterday was a great day for us. We had a busy day all around, but so you came and because of the rearranged schedule, performed first and then sat and chatted with our students. And two words really struck me in that conversation as I was listening to you speak. And I'm going to give you both of those words. I'm almost going to use some of your comments yesterday to influence those. One is a brutal honesty. I love this honesty. This honesty is in your music and it's also 
in your conversation with students. You'll be completely straight. For example, you said opera is 35 pieces, and eventually musical theater is going to be 35 pieces too. That there is this sense that when we come to the opera, we're going to expect to see the same thing we saw all the time before, which is the rap on classical music in general, and we're trying to take that head on here at DePauw. And then you also mentioned that we're moving away from Rodgers and Hammerstein and into other things, but there's going to be these 35 pieces. Or even the quote, which I loved, someone asked a question about going to New York, and you said, you don't go to New York to be a star. You go to New York to step in a puddle of vomit. That, that this idea that if you come in and you're just willing to do the hard work and see what happens, great. If you come and you're expecting to be a star, life is going to be a disappointment. So you've got to kind of earn your stripe as you work your way through that. I love that I kind of honesty. The puddle of vomit line needs a lot of context, I think, in order to really play. But, um, <laughs> you know, I hear that I'm very honest, and I try to be very honest, but it's, it's not about being mean, because I think that sometimes is what the rap is on, like, I'm going to be so straight with you, I'm going to tell you that you suck and you don't have any talent. But <laughs> it's never that for me. It's not. It's it didn't just, come off that way at all. It's just, there, there is a... I'm not particularly Pollyanna about it. I mean, pretty straightforwardly, I just don't like the business. Show business is not any fun as far as I'm concerned. And so sort of, I'm just where I am telling people how it looks from my end of it. And I figure better to know. And if you want to be Pollyanna, then the world is still, you know, perfectly happy to take you at that level. And they will either crush you or not, depending on sort of how strong you are. But Pollyanna just doesn't work especially well for me. So at whatever level of talent you are, at least you should know sort of how you are coming off and, and how the world is going to receive you. And that level of honesty in Jason Robert Brown is the level of honesty in Jason Robert Brown's characters. You know, that I love listening to your music because I feel such a direct connection to your characters. That honesty carries through, and it's, it's a little bit unusual. For example, one of the comments you made yesterday was that if all of your characters come up with really clever rhyme and have really big words... You know, is that what you want your character to be, just for the sake of that? And your characters, I think, resonate, especially in college campuses, because people recognize themselves. Yeah. I, I mean, the hardest thing for me is to write dumb characters. And I've had to do it a couple of times. But it's very difficult because there's nothing dishonest about them, necessarily. Dishonest characters are really fun to write, actually. But, but <laughs> d dumb characters are hard... Because they don't have anywhere to go from, you know, they don't have any particular insights that they're supposed to share with you. They're just sort of dumb. So <laughs> and those are very hard for me. Um, smart characters are, are, are a lot of fun to write, and very literate characters are fun to write. But you don't want to write people who are um, stuck behind a wall of their own literacy, which I think... Uh, it's a real danger when you do the kind of character writing I do. You can get people who sort of get locked up in a world of their own illusions and philosophies uh, and never actually take any action. And there's certainly some of those people wandering around my shows, but I, <laughs> I like to think I'm tempering them as I get older. And you've been credited with a quote, I guess, some time ago now, that you'd be really good at this if it weren't for rhyme. Oh, God, I hate it. I <laughs> didn't know the story I told yesterday, which is true, is that I tweeted or something a couple of years ago. I remember saying, if it weren't for rhyming, I think I'd be pretty good at this lyric stuff. And Lin-Manuel Ronda uh, <laughs> wrote back, and he said, if it weren't for the rhyming, I wouldn't have anything. <laughs> I just thought, well, we're very different. <laughs> I think part of that is the honesty of the truth is we don't walk around talking in rhyme, and now suddenly we're finding ourselves that. But one thing that you told the students yesterday that I thought was really important and they knew you believed because they had just seen you perform yourself, which is singing is really about communicating. The sound is important, but it's really about communicating. And that's why I say the performance yesterday was so riveting, because the lines of communication were so clear and so profound. That's where I start with, as you know, when working with young performers, where I start with is telling the story. I start with speech. I start with how do you say this? 
you know, singing is so technically weird and difficult that I think in the course of trying to make sound and trying to make sound that is attractive for other people to hear, you get caught up and you sort of get a little bit lost. And there's all of these things in music that are sort of there to trap you and rhythm is there to trap you and pitch is there to trap you and, and register and, and dynamic and all of those things. And it's easy to get so sort of lost in the details of those that you forget what story you're telling as opposed to going the other way and using all of those things to help you tell your story. And so I like to strip away sort of all of the background noise and just start with story and then let the details accrete because they're supposed to, because they have to, as opposed to, well, I'm doing these things on the page and hopefully that way I'll get to tell my story after that. Right. So yesterday, as I sat through your performance and then through the talk, I thought, what is it that is really so captivating about this? And one of the elements was the honesty of it. And the other word that kind of jumped to my mind was reluctance. There's a certain reluctance that I hear now. So I've followed your music for many years, but this is our first time to meet and my first time to see you perform publicly. And there's a little bit of a reluctance, even in the part of your characters. This also comes through in some of your characters. But then they are really quick to come right out and explain the whole thing. I thought Nothing in Common does a great job of letting us look behind the curtain and see what someone's really thinking about how they grew up and how they feel about their brother and others in their lives. But it seems you're not a big fan of show business. You're not a big fan of Broadway. You're not a big fan of New York. These are things you're doing. And there's a certain amount of reluctance because this is who you are and what you want to do. But it comes with a whole bunch of stuff. Is that fair? Well, you know, my friend Joel has always said that I am the poet laureate of musical theater ambivalence, which uh, <laughs> which I, it sounds totally accurate, you know. Um, and, I, you know, it speaks to a lot that's in me personally. Uh, you know, and that ambivalence... It's hard-earned, and I recognize it as kind of defensive. And in a defensive way, I'm not the biggest fan of it. But as a practical matter, it just sort of functions for me. What I don't have are, uh, you know, childlike enthusiasms. But what I do have is the ability to sort of see from any particular angle how the story is supposed to play. And that's been very valuable to me as a writer of the kind of work that I want to do. You know, it's been very valuable for me as a person in the business to just sort of say, you know, there, there are, I mean, there are certainly bad guys, but there are generally just people who are operating for different reasons than you are and trying to understand the reasons and figure out how you can still do the thing that you love, which for me is making music. It's, you know, it's telling stories with music. How do you do that in the face of what can be a very strange and disappointing world? And, you know, where I'm not ambivalent is, you know, my children I'm not ambivalent about. You know, I'm not ambivalent about my wife. I'm not ambivalent about family. But the, uh, and I'm not ambivalent about writing. I love writing and I love music, all of that. The business of it and the interaction with it is all a little bit complicated for me. And I, I, I'm always surprised that it's not complicated for everybody. I think, you know, if if you people had any sense, you'd all you'd all realize just how complicated and weird all this is. But I'm also very grateful that that people don't sort of approach everything as warily as I do. I'm very grateful that there are people whose enthusiasms carry them aloft a little bit more than mine do. Is it somehow ironic that you've had two shows open on Broadway in the same year now and suddenly you're right back in the whirlwind of all of the how does that feel? Well, it feels, I mean, ironic is not, I'm not sure that's the word I want to choose. It's, first of all, I work exceptionally hard for the opportunities. So, you know, I'm very grateful for them when they show up. And I also am very much relieved that they happen. What I want is for people to be able to hear what I write, because otherwise, you know, I'm just some hermit in a cave. So, I, you know, <laughs> I, I want people to hear the work and to see the work sort of realized. 
And both of the productions of the shows, Honeymoon in Vegas and Bridges of Madison County and the movie of last five years are all beautifully realized productions. So I'm thrilled to have all of that out there. What I can't then get all caught up in is how much money they make or, you know, what are the grosses every week or what's the percentage of this or that, <laughs> that stuff. It drives me crazy. And everyone in the business in New York sits and stares at those numbers, you know, like it's a betting sheet at the track. <laughs> and I do my best to stay away from it, but it's hard to stay away from. And it's why it was much easier when I was living in Los Angeles, because it sort of didn't matter. I, you know, I had seen these beautiful productions of my shows and then I would go away and they would either <laughs> keep going or they wouldn't. But uh, there's something very lovely now about with Honeymoon in Vegas running at 6.40 on a Tuesday night. I can jump on a train and at 7 o'clock be up there and, and, you know, watch that band play that overture and just have the greatest time. Is it fun to have Tony Danza? Did you watch Tony Danza on TV growing up? I watched Taxi. I wasn't a Who's the Boss guy, actually, but I watched Taxi all the time. And, uh, and so I certainly knew who he was. When his name first came up for this... I just thought, well, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but come on. I, first of all, it hadn't occurred to me that he'd gotten older. So I just sort of, <laughs> I assumed he was still, you know, the shaggy haired, you know, Tony Banta. Uh, but I met him at his house in Malibu and I was really, I was very much impressed with sort of how he'd aged into a considerably more, I guess a sober creation is sort of mm -hmm. what I want to say about him. And his discipline is unbelievable and his enthusiasm is amazing. And you know, he's a guy who's 64 years old and he is committed to doing those eight shows a week and it is a tough show for him. I mean, he has to sing and tap dance and play the ukulele and jump around the stage and do a whole <laughs> lot of stuff. And he loves it so much and he gives so much to the cast with his enthusiasm and with his passion for it. I mean, the fact that he turned out to be really good was almost a total bonus because <laughs> he was just a, a real, he was a real gift to the company. Well, you know, we have so many great guests here and they always bring something interesting and it's fun to have them. But I have really been moved by your visit, but by your work, by your work with our students. And I sent a tweet out after your performance, but then I sent a couple of emails to a couple of friends of mine. And I said, this guy is so real and so good and just had us all on the edge of our seats the whole time. So I just want to thank you personally for well, really please. lighting us up this week. Thank you very much. I'll come back and do another one. We'd Sounds love good. to have you back. Thanks thank for coming you. in to chat about it. Thank you, Mark. From the Horn Studio concert of March 11th, Professor Rob Danforth performs the third movement, Allegro, from Richard Strauss's Concerto No. 1 in E-flat major, Opus 11.
We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Music for Life. We love hearing from listeners. You can contact us by emailing musicforlife at depaw.edu. We're also on Facebook at DePaul Music for Life, and you can subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching there for DePaw Music for Life. Our student producers are Anna Gadula, Matt Skiva, Burke Stanton, Rachel Amalfitano, Hannah Gauthier, and Caleb Denning. Our 21CM graduate intern is Elika Okerstrom. Veronica Pedrel is our online editor, and our show is produced by Matthew Champagne in the Judson and Joyce Green Center for the Performing Arts at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. I'm Mark McCoy, Dean of the School of Music. Thank you for listening to our show. Keep music in your life and have a great week. It's music for life.